Now, if you've ever gotten a new car, or maybe you're like, I've never had a new car, but I've had a new-to-me car, um, you, you know that like, it's, it's, you, you love it. You, you cherish that vehicle. You look at it, and you're like, this is, uh, this is amazing. You take care of it. You baby it. You pamper it. But then a few years down the road, that car, it's got some scratches. It's got some dings in it. It makes some weird noises, and you, you start to go, ugh. I need a new vehicle. That thing that you loved, you're just kind of falling out of love with it. Now, in the same way, like, and I've seen this because I've, I've been around here for quite a while, like sometimes people will come to a church and they're like, ah, oh, this, is, this is a great church. It's perfect. I love it. And that's awesome. Um, but give it some time. And then you start to go, there's a scratch over there. There's some dings in the church over there. And that part over there makes some weird noises. And the thought might enter our heads like, hmm, maybe I need something, something different. Maybe I need to look for something else. Now, I'll say this. There are legitimate reasons for leaving a church, but there's probably not as many as we may think. Now, <clears throat> think about your, the, 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 back to the car. When your car begins to lose its luster, who's responsible for that? Who's put the, the dings and the scratches in it? It's like you, or maybe you're like, no, it was my spouse. Or maybe you've got a kid who's learning to drive. It's like, it's on them. But you, you're usually responsible for them. And when it makes that weird noise, like, did, did you address it? Or maybe you were like, I'll just turn up the radio. And ah, it's fixed, repaired. It's working great. Um, and if we don't take care of the regularly uh, recommended uh, maintenance, that has an effect on it. And so here, here's, here's what I'm saying. In the same way, you play a part in what your church looks like. You help to make HCC what it is. Now you might go, no, I don't, because I don't really do anything. I'd go, yeah. And, and so here's, here's the thing. The amount we choose to participate or not to participate in the life of our church helps to shape what our church looks like. Um, think of it this way. So when I was doing my undergrad degree, I, I got decent marks, but it, it was often this, like, I will do my, my work. I'll do what I'm told to do. I'll write my paper, whatever it is, and I'll submit it. But I wasn't like going all out when I was doing that. Cause I was like, I want to go play NHL 2009 on the PS2 with the boys. That was kind of my, my, my primary focus. And so it's like, I got decent marks, but it was, it wasn't like great. Now, years later, I went back to do my master's. I was like, no. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to really try. I did all of the readings. I didn't do them necessarily in my undergrad, but I, I really went for it. And like I, I, I'll say, doing my master's, I got way more out of that program than I did my undergrad. And I think it's this. It's, I, I put a lot more into it. I approached it with a different attitude. And in the same way, what we're going to get out of our faith out of our relationship with God, out of our relationship with our church and other Christians is in many ways determined by what we decide to put in. And it's our attitude that determines what we're willing to put in. And so the question I want to start this series off, we're starting this new series with, is how is your attitude? And in this series, what we want to do is invite you to go all in on some of these aspects of our relationship with God and with our church family because if we have a biblical and spirit-led attitude, we can actually experience joy in our church membership. 
Now, worship services, they are held by churches of every denomination type and theological perspective every week. Some of those churches are growing. Some of those churches are plateaued. Some of those churches are dying. But the underlying idea behind all of the worship services that these churches have is this, that God deserves to be worshiped. Scripture tells us this, Psalm 29, verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7 says, Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. And so if you read the Bible, just a little bit, you kind of come away going, okay, God clearly has a desire that we would worship him. That he, he calls us to do this. And I know some of us are going, God is so egotistical. He's like, oh, you got to worship me and nothing else. Like, why? Why? Well, God's actually right to do this. It makes sense because he is the creator and he is the greatest being in existence. And so he should hold the position of highest value in our lives. Like if God was going, ah, it doesn't really matter what you worship. Worship your job, worship your spouse, worship your money, worship a hobby, whatever it is, just go for it. We would actually go, God, you are cruel and you are unloving because he's allowing us to base our lives on something that's eventually going to fail us, eventually going to let us down. And so worship is this, it's recognizing God's position and worth. Worship is recognizing God's position and worth. Now, worship also flows from recognizing and responding to the grace and forgiveness that was found solely in Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. And so one of the things we would say is we worship God not so that we will be saved, but we worship in response because we have been saved. And so worship, we, when, when I say this, please understand, I'm not saying that this is something that has to happen on Sunday mornings inside of a church building. Every day we wake up, we need to recognize God's position. We need to recognize God's worth. And the way we live our lives is we respond to that in our everyday little decisions. It affects how we live our lives. But also, worship does manifest itself in experiences with other believers as well. And so what we call this is like, what what we would call what's going on right now is corporate worship. Or in kind of the common vernacular, we would say, I'm going to church. Now in Acts chapter 2, very soon after Jesus returned to heaven, you see the church begins to gather together for corporate worship. You see in the New Testament, local churches gather in homes to sit under the teaching of the word, to break bread together. And it's not long after you see this, this kind of pattern begins to emerge where local churches or Christians gather for worship on Sunday mornings because it was the day Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. So there was no verse that says, you know what, a church has to meet on Sunday morning. It was just kind of a pattern that was established and it continued and it makes sense. Now you see this in Acts chapter 20, verse seven. It says, on the first day of the week, We assembled to break bread. This is Luke writing. And he says, Paul spoke to them. And since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So if we're going by that, I've got a good 12 and a half hours to keep going here. So get comfortable. No, we're not going to do that. But so like, imagine this. If you read it, it's it's kind of amazing. Paul keeps talking and and he, he talks so long 
that a guy's just like, I can't stay awake. It's almost midnight. He falls asleep, falls out a third story window, hits the ground and dies. And I'm like, ah, he's dead. And Paul's like, nah, he's just asleep. And he goes out and he brings this guy back to life. And you'd think, be like, oh man, th- th- we-, we should end. And Paul's like, no, everybody back upstairs. I'm gonna keep preaching. So not even dying was good enough to get you out of church, according to Paul. He's just gonna bring you back and he's gonna keep going. Now, in the New Testament, the practice of gathering together for corporate worship, it's a clear, it's a joyous practice of Christians. Now, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. As that's, I'm, I'm going to kind of camp out there around verses 24 and 25. And in the letter of the Hebrews, at, the, at this point, he, the author is, is encouraging his readers to draw close to God with boldness. And this is based on the access that they've been given to God through Jesus's work on the cross. And he's going, like, you you can do this with confidence. Do you know why? Because Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on your behalf. That he's, he's speaking to God on your behalf. And so verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I know I read that verse and some of you are like, oh no, I know where he's going. This is gonna get awkward. Now let's look at it. What he's going, don't neglect to gather together. Because some of you, that's what he's saying to the writers is like, or the readers are, are, are kind of getting in this habit. Now there's legitimate reasons for, for neglecting to gather and together or, or to miss church. Like if you're sick, nobody wants your germs. Like I don't know how many illnesses my kids have brought home this fall and winter, but I'm like, nope, you're sick, please stay home. We don't need that. Maybe you're legitimately um, incapacitated, you can't get out of the house. Maybe you're traveling, it's good, take a vacation, go away. Maybe you have shift work. Maybe you have to care for a sick loved one. Sometimes just life, it doesn't permit us to gather with our church family. But scholars, they they propose different theories as to why the Hebrews might be neglecting to gather together. Some Christians might be going like, I know better. I have a superior knowledge of God's revelation and this whole thing getting together, not necessary. They say another theory is that some Christians were just kind of negligent They weren't making a priority. They kind of were indifferent towards the gathering. A third theory is this, that some people might have been afraid of the persecution they faced because going to church or gathering with the church made them a target. So they're living in a culture where it's like, it's not cool to be a Christian. It it, it could like cause, it's bad for business. It could get you killed. And so it was like, you go to the gathering, you kind of put a target on your back. And so like, not even though, like I could get killed for doing this is a good enough reason for the author of Hebrews to neglect going and gathering with the church. Now, I'm gonna sound like an incredibly old man um, when I say this probably, but back when I was a kid, so back in my day, um, like when it came to missing church, like if I went to my dad and was like, dad, I don't wanna go to church today, he'd be like, are you dying? No, well, get in the car. Like, it just wasn't an option. It's like, I would have to present, like, here's my doctor's note. Here's why I can't make it. Now, some of you are like, you are old. Like, you geezer, get off the stage. But over the last few years, what we've seen is the definition of a regular church attendee has changed. 
A regular church attendee used to be somebody who, who, or was considered someone who gathered with their church at least one time a week. And you're like, one time a week, what do you mean? Well, they used to have services in the morning, Sunday night, a Wednesday night gathering. That was a regular church attendee at least one time a month, or one time a week, sorry. Now a regular church attendee is defined as a person who may attend twice a month. Kind of to put this in perspective, the Southern Baptist Convention boasts 16 million members. But on a typical Sunday, only 6 million of those members would be found in any of their corporate worship gatherings. Statistics are showing that post-pandemic, so coming out of the pandemic, people who used to attend every week attend two times a month. People who attended two times a month are about once a month. And people who used to come once a month are showing up about half a dozen times a year. And I was like thinking about that. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty consistent with some of the things we've seen here at HCC. Now, the, the question is, why do we choose to miss church? And I use that word choose um, intentionally. Well, we have increasing affluence, mobility, commitments, and entertainment options. And these things, they compete for our Sunday mornings. Like Sunday morning used to kind of be a guarded thing in our culture. I recognize that. It was like nothing else. It's like we're all going to church. Things have changed. Um, work, sports, weekends away, family activities, see, simply wanting to sleep in. These things compete for our Sunday mornings. And none of those things are inherently evil. Like I enjoy a good morning just like laying in bed, being lazy, doing nothing. But here's the question a lot of us might have. Is church attendance optional? Does the Bible make church attendance optional? And our behavior seems to say that many Christians think so, that skipping the worship gathering is a common thing for a lot of Christians now. Like for, for a lot of Christians, like we're just being honest right now, a lot of other activities, almost every other activity has become mandatory, but the worship gathering has become more optional. And some of us, like we live like the, life like this, like heaven forbid Billy miss his basketball practice. Because if, if he misses his basketball practice, well, well, his chance at the NBA, th- th- those could be over. Like, we will drive through the worst snowstorm. To, like, we're endangering lives on the way. But I was like, I got him to practice. We're committed. But then church. We're like, well, we'll see if we can squeeze it in. I mean, nobody get their hopes up. It's looking a little foggy out there. We might not want to risk it. Now, like, some of you are like, you're joking. There are Christians who live this way. And I've heard people say, you know what? I don't need to go to church to worship God. I can worship him just as well on a golf course or maybe in a fishing boat. And it's true. There's truth to that. You can worship God in those places. He's not restricted to being worshiped in a church building. We can commune with God many different places. There was a pastor actually who uh, had some friends who stopped attending church and they got together on Sunday mornings and they would go water skiing every Sunday. And, and he told them, you know what, that's fine. It constitutes a kingdom activity because you're all Christians, you're in the boat. And so this qualifies as church. And, and often to justify something like that, we'll break out this verse, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where Jesus says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. We're like, Jesus is with us on the ninth hole. Jesus is with us in this fishing boat. We're having church. 
But that has probably become one of the most misapplied verses in all of Scripture. It's not a definition of what constitutes a church service or what constitutes the church. The context of that verse is church discipline in which multiple witnesses are to be on hand to verify an alleged unrepentant sin. And so we also should talk about this. Post-pandemic, we're living in 2023 um, we, we have people who are going like, I prefer not to come into the building, but I would rather worship online. So I'm speaking to some of you right now. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, I, I, I've done it. There's been some Sundays I've been away or during the pandemic where I would do it. And it was like, I get to sit there on my own couch in my jam jams. I'm, I'm sipping coffee. It's like, it's a, it's a much more easy experience. Like I'm not fighting with the kids to get them out the door or something like that. And I know, again, we have people who are joining us on live stream every, every Sunday. And I'll, I'll say this. I think it's awesome. I love the live stream. I think, it's a, uh, I think the, that techno- technologically and, and moving forward online, that's where we've got to be. But I would also say this. Um, it's an excellent ministry tool. And it can be a ministry of the church. But online will never constitute the fullness of the church. Like, think of it this way. Two in five married couples now meet online. And so they, 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 they meet and then they get married. But here's the thing. They don't stay online only. They, they come together. Now, like, think about this. Like, if you were like, we're going to keep our marriage online only, not going into detail, but you're going to miss out on some pretty good aspects of married life if you don't come together. And so love, that can be expressed online, but its fulfillment happens deepest through personal contact. And so if our church experience that we're going, it's, it's online only, we're missing out on something deeper. Like the, 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 the New Testament, it, it shows Christians and the church like hand in glove, that they go together. Christianity needs community to fully express itself. Think about the teachings of Jesus and the apostles where it's like they're all relational in nature, your relationship with God, but a lot of it's your relationship with others. Think about all the one another verses that you find in scripture. And so Christianity is meant to be experienced in community, not isolation. Now, instead of asking, do we have to gather for worship? Maybe the question we should ask is this, why do I not want to gather with others for worship. And my my goal this morning is not just to be like, you have to go to church there, like, and just leave it at that. Like, I I don't want to do that. I want to give you the why behind this command. I want to give you the heart behind why we are encouraged to gather together. Now, maybe we miss because we have other things we want to do or we prioritize. Maybe we go, church is boring. And I get it. I I was a kid. There were times where I was like, I don't want to go. Uh, there's other things we want to do. Maybe it was like, I didn't like the, 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 the preaching. Maybe I found the music style not quite right. Now, the modern church, what we've done is we've taken and we've defined church as a place where you go to get your spiritual needs met. And what results is that churches become viewed as dispensers of religious goods and services where Christian consumers can have their felt needs met. Tim Daly, or Kelly, sorry, he says, worship 
is taking our affection off our idols and putting it on God. Worship is taking our affection off our idols and putting it on God. And so what I'm saying is maybe in order to worship, one of the idols that we have to take our attention off of is, and our affection off of is, is ourselves, our comforts, our desires, our preferences. Like the purpose of worship, what we do here, it's not to come together and like, oh, I hope everybody's happy. That's not it. We come to discover who God is, to experience his presence, to acknowledge his authority in our lives and to glorify him as creator and savior. So what I'm saying is this, worship is not about me. Worship is not about you. It's about glorifying God, recognizing his position and worth. And so this is why the author of Hebrews is going like, don't neglect to come together. It's a warning to his readers. It's a warning to us today. There was, there was a man who was attending a church for, for years. He was a faithful member, but then he just stopped going. And the pastor, he, he noticed it. And so one evening he was like, you know what? I'm going to go pay him a visit. And it was a cold evening. And he goes to the man's home and the man was sitting in front of his fireplace alone. There was a nice fire going. But he hears the knock at the door and the pastor's there and the guy's like, oh man, I know you're here. Didn't say it to him, but it's like, obviously, why is the pastor paying him a visit? And so he invited the pastor in and they go and they sit in front of the fireplace in two chairs and the man's just waiting for the pastor to give it to him, to tell him you need to get back in church. But the pastor, he doesn't say anything. They just sit there kind of in awkward silence. After a few minutes, the pastor, he took the fire tongs, he reached in the fire and he pulled out a burning ember and he placed it on the side of the hearth all by itself. And the man's going like, what are you doing? Like just thinking it, but just watching it all. And so the both men just sit there watching that one lone ember and it's, it's flaming, it's flickering, but the flame dies out. And it glows for a while, but the glow begins to go out. And eventually that ember is cold, dark, and dead. And they still continue to sit there in silence. The pastor looks at his watch. He gets up and he says, it's time for me to go. But before he does, he goes and he, he picks up that ember in his hand. And he tosses it back into the fire. And just watches it for a second. And both men watch it. And that, that ember, it springs back to life. It begins to produce flames. And as they get to the door, the man said to the pastor, thank you for your visit, and thank you for the fiery sermon. I will see you on Sunday. (laughs) Now, the reason I tell this story is this, is that gathering with our church family is one of God's primary means for our spiritual growth and well-being. Other believers prompt us, remind us, they fill in the gaps, and we have gaps in our faith and our experience. They fill in those needs and that knowledge, and our church family helps us live out our faith. There are over 700 verses in scripture that you cannot live out without your church family, without the people of God. And in 2023, let's just like admit it, it's not getting easier to live out your Christian faith. There's a lot of things competing for it. There's a lot of things competing against it, but it's a lot easier to stand firm in our faith when we know that there are others who are standing alongside of us. And so Christianity, sorry, perseverance in our faith is a community endeavor. Perseverance in our faith is a community endeavor. 
And again, I'm just trying to be honest with you, but here's the thing. When people neglect to come to the corporate gathering, it's not because their faith is in a healthy place. It's not because their their faith is usually moving in the right direction. Like, it's this. Usually it's a warning sign that something isn't right, that their priorities are off. And you might not like that I said that. You might disagree, but I've got years of experience in just watching it. When people begin to withdraw, it's not usually because their faith is heading in the right direction. And so this is why in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, he says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, when we miss church, we tend to think, here's the things I'm missing. We're going, ah, I'm going to miss the sermon, but you know what? I'll just listen to Greg, Craig Rochelle later on. He's a better preacher anyways. When, when we're going, I like the, I like the worship music. But I'll just listen to something in the car on the way to wherever I'm going. So we, we tend to think about the things that we miss, but what if it's something bigger than just a sermon or some songs? And when you consider what the author of Hebrews 10 is saying, we should come to this important realization that instead of only thinking about what you miss when you miss gathering with the church, you need to also think about what others miss because of your absence. Like the reader, a writer of Hebrews is, is saying to Christians, like you've got responsibilities to one another. You need to stir one another up to love and good works. And you accomplish this by coming together. And, and there's something amazing when we do come together. Like when we sing worship songs together, like that, that song just before I got up here, Heart of Worship, like just like hearing you guys sing, that was good for me. When we come together and, 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 and we pray, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we sit under God's word, we witness people give their lives to Christ. That is good for us. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so God uses the the joyful attitude and witness of Christians coming together to save others. And so what I'm saying is you have the opportunity to be a blessing to other people simply by being present. Like just simply showing up even on those Sundays where you don't want to be here. And I'll admit, there are Sunday mornings. I wake up, I'm like, I don't feel like going. I just want to stay in bed. But your presence here can be a blessing to others. It can change people's lives. Like church is more than the sum of its parts. God uses the music, the preaching, the sacraments, the creative elements, the informal conversations and interactions that happen in the lobby and the hallway downstairs and more to do his work. And so the the writer of Hebrews logic, it's simple. You cannot encourage people you do not see. You cannot encourage people you do not see. And if you're gone on a Sunday morning, you could miss the opportunity to offer a word of encouragement to somebody who desperately needs it. You might miss the opportunity to welcome someone who doesn't usually come to church. You might miss the opportunity to pray with someone who is suffering. You might miss the opportunity to encourage those around you with your voice during the time of singing. 
Now, some of you are going like, no, it's not encouraging when I sing. It's more of a distraction. But here's what I'm saying. If you sing loud enough and sing proud enough, even if it's bad, it's going to be like, well, they're covering up my whatever I might do. I'm just going to go for it. So like your presence is an encouragement to others. And when we choose to gather, that could be the Sunday one of your neighbors decides to attend and they feel more comfortable because they recognize someone they know. And you go like, that doesn't happen. It happens more often than you think, that somebody finds us on Google, they show up and they go, that's my coworker. That's, that's my kid's parents. It happens. You have an opportunity to encourage someone who has been suffering in silence. You might get the opportunity to be a strong shoulder again for that hurting friend. And so our presence in the gathering is a part of our ministry. And what we spend our time on, that shows what we truly value. And so if, if you regularly miss church to attend maybe sporting events or just sleep in, what does that say about the worth that you ascribe to God in Christ's church? When we regularly choose some other activity over worship, we make a statement to those around us about what we truly value. And I will take every opportunity I get to plead with you. Do not self-sabotage your efforts to disciple your children. Do not. Because if going to church is contingent on nothing else going on, if sports or hobbies or sleeping in frequently take priority over gathering with God's people, how is that not going to imprint itself upon your children? If you treat church like an option, your children probably will too. And worship attendance is a signal of our priorities to everybody around us. And our presence is a part of our ministry to our family, our friends, and to the world. Now, God could accomplish all of his purposes without us, but he uses the church. That's what he chooses to do. Now, here's the thing. I recognize I've preached to the choir essentially today because you guys are here. I also recognize that I've probably got some people in here not too happy with me right now. I've stepped on some toes. I've, I've gone into areas where you're like, don't touch that. And I have. Now, here's the thing. I've not come here to shame anyone. That's not my goal. But simply to take God's word and present what it says and give you the heart behind it. And I will let God and the spirit do with, whatever, do with that what he wants but based on Hebrews chapter 10, we have to say that scripture does not endorse the idea of a Christian neglecting to gather with the church, and in fact, commands it. That a believer who segregates themselves from the church, that, that's not really presented as an option, but in fact, it's presented as you're kind of being selfish. Now, maybe for some of us, God has brought us here today specifically for a reason, or you're listening to, the, to this later on, you're catching up. Maybe it's the time to get your heart ready. To get your heart ready to come alongside others, to worship God with your church family, not because you have to, but because you realize he's worthy of it. He uses our presence here to transform us, to encourage others, and to change lives. And so we only do things when we deem that's a priority. And so I want to encourage you to go all in. See what happens when you choose to worship regularly every Sunday. And as you do that, I just want to ask you to pray these things because they help change our attitude towards going to church, towards the corporate worship gathering. Pray that you would worship God for who he is and what he has done.
Pray for God to speak to you and those who will be there. Pray that people will be saved, that the church will be edified. Pray that God will use those who are serving. Pray for all distractions to be removed. And pray that people will hear from God clearly and that God's spirit will move. In your prayers and your presence, they honestly help to make HCC a church that people will want to be a part of and through which God will change your life and the lives of others.